invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn back to the Acts passage I read a little bit ago. You can tell by now our theme this year is gospelize, and that may be a new word for you. Hopefully you'll get an understanding a little bit more clearly about what it means uh, throughout our message today. And we wanted to take this new format and preach to you about our theme first, because we want you to hear what God has to say about our theme before we tell you tonight about what we have to say about it and what he's put on our hearts to do at Faith Baptist Church this year. I want to start with a couple questions and hopefully move you to think clearly about where you stand on the true answers to those questions that are portrayed in your life. What drives you every day? What is your main motivation? What gets you up early in the morning and would keep you up late at night? If you remember in college, maybe in Psychology 101, we learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow stated this, that motivation exists to satisfy needs. And he came up with a hierarchy of needs, and he put it in the model or form of a pyramid. And he gave examples about how his model works about motivation. He says, if you're motivated to stay warm, then you feel the need for clothes and jackets and things of that nature. He says, if you want to stay healthy and alive, you feel the need to eat and drink and sleep and so forth. He says, if you need to feel safe, then you, you feel the need to surround yourself with a predictable environment that doesn't have any violence or chaos. To develop a sense of belonging and be loved, if you feel that, then you're going to pursue friendships and seek community. So he said, see, he has a hierarchy of needs based on your personal wants. And at the base of it, he had physiological needs or your physical needs, what you need. He had safety and security next and loving and belonging next. And at the other highest end of it, self-esteem and self-actualization and It was a system that he put together because he wanted to rank things, basic needs, by levels of importance. In other words, the further you went up, the less important it was because the bottom ones were the most important. So the bottom line for Maslow was physical needs always outshine or out, I should say, trump spiritual needs. His model was basically a self-centered approach to motivation. You get first what you need most. It's a life lived from the outside in. Maslow's answer to our question, what motivates you, he would say this, well, my personal needs motivate me. It's what really drives me every day. It's my main motivation. What do I need and what do I have to do to get it? But I thought this week, what if Maslow's wrong? What if personal needs, even though they're important and obviously vital, what if they're not ultimate? What if the reverse of what Maslow said is true? What if, what if your spiritual needs trump spiritual, physical needs? What if spiritual reality is more important than even your physical reality? What if Jesus really meant what he said And I quote, this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
You see, all you have to do is read the Bible, and not very long, actually, to find that the Bible has a completely different hierarchy of needs in the lives of believers. They are not radically self-centered as Maslow's model. Rather, they are radically God-centered. They are not oriented around your personal needs, but the needs of others. See, a gospel hierarchy, I like to call it, puts the needs of others, spiritual needs of others, even above those people's own physical needs. It's not that we exclude them. It's not that we don't care about helping people meet their physical needs, but we rank spiritual needs higher than that. It is the highest level of importance that anybody can have. You see, the Apostle Paul, and you'll see it in our text today, he was a gospelizer. A gospelizer is someone who puts the gospel needs of someone above all of the other needs that they have, even at their own cost or risk. You see, hierarchy of needs according to the gospel are not what's mainly about your self-orientation, but others-oriented. See, a gospelizer is someone whose life, everyone and everything in it, is seen through gospelizing glasses. So gospelizers, if you're wondering if you are one, are motivated by a God-centered view of the spiritual needs of others, even at their own risk. Let me take a look with you at Paul the Gospelizer this morning, and I want you, as we go through this text, I want you to think about this question. Is this me? Oh, I may be a Christian, maybe I follow Jesus, but am I truly a Gospelizer? And there's going to be two things that we're going to look at Paul's life that will help us run that test for each one of us. We're going to look at his gospel chains and then how they affect his gospel choices. So let's unpack them one at a time, can we? Look at verse 22 in Acts 20. And now behold, if you're circling things or you do that to take notes, put a little mark because our text has this little bracket. Verse 22 starts, and now behold, and so does verse 25. Verse 25 says, and now behold, and that's important, although it seems like it's just introductory to the little paragraph, but it's more than that because Paul, or I should say the writer Luke of Acts, uses the word behold 12 different times. It is a word that's supposed to arrest your attention. You may have not been paying close attention before, Paul says, but I want you to really pay close attention now. It's absolutely crucial. You know how crucial it is? I looked up all of them. All 12 uses of the word behold in the book of Acts and they always have some supernatural event tagged along with it. The ascension of Jesus is introduced with behold. The death by God of Ananias and Sapphira introduced with behold each one of their deaths. The uh, vision of Stephen seeing Jesus at his right hand as he was being stoned to death, supernatural, is introduced with behold. Paul on the Damascus Road getting a vision and praying after he gets saved. Behold, Cornelius getting people sent by God to his house and then Peter sent. All those visions are started with behold. People in prison, seeing angels, visions, great things happen. In Acts, they are all introduced by behold. Why does that matter? Because it may not look like it to you, but this event is in the same status. This event is crucial in the life of the Apostle Paul. And more so, it is crucial as a gospel event and fulfillment of the mission that Paul was on. What motivated Paul 
throughout his entire gospel mission. Well, I'll tell you. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Can you look at the text? I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. If you read chapter 19 and verse 21, the gospel itinerary went like this. A number of cities before Paul reaches this text, but when he comes here, he says, I have to go to Jerusalem, and then I must see Rome. That's 1921. Paul says in 2113 that I am not only ready to go to Jerusalem, but I'm even if it means chains, prison, or death, I'm ready to go. You have to ask, what would make him go? He knows every city, afflictions and chains, imprisonment await him. But yet he still goes. You have to ask the question, what motivated him? What motivated him? The answer to that is gospel chains. Paul's outer chains, physical chains, when he was chained up. That's why in the Greek, in the word, in the New Testament, chains and imprisonment come from the same root word. Because to be in prison was to be chained. And he even tells us in other books in the New Testament that he was chained to soldiers and they switched every four hours, 24 hours a day. He was chained up to someone, not to a wall, but to another soldier. He tells us, and he's notorious, he frequently talks about the external chains in actual prisons that he experienced. In fact, Read all of Acts for yourselves, and you'll find this, that everyone who claims to be a gospelizer had chains, and they were in prison. The apostles in chapter 5 were in prison, and they put them in there, and they went to find them the next morning, but the prison was closed, but they weren't in it anymore, and they were in the temple preaching. You know why? Because gospelizing chains are powerful. They're powerful. Peter was in prison, chapter 12, but he was delivered. Paul and Silas were in prison, but the doors opened up. And then you come to our text, where the apostle Paul, it's even prophesied by Agabus, that whoever wears this belt will also wear chains when he gets to Jerusalem. So why did he go? Gospel chains. Paul knew all the things that were going to happen to him, and yet he still chose to go to Jerusalem why? Let me ask you, listen, do you have a why like that? Not something that would just get you out of bed early in the morning or keep you up late at night, but would, do you have a why, the kind of why, a gospel why that would make you choose knowing that you would be beaten and put in prison? Do you have a why like that that would make you still go? Simon Sinek wrote a book And the book was, Start With Why. With why. And he tries to tell people, how do you get through a difficult marriage? You can't without a why. He says, how do you stay at a very difficult job? How do you keep loving difficult people in times including your own family and children? How do you do it? He says, you can't do it without a why. And then he goes on to say on the business aspect, he mentions all kinds of companies. And if I told you them, you'd know what they were. Companies that are famous and they did not last over the years. And the reason was, and he goes back and documents it, is that these companies did not start with a why. And then he lists a whole bunch of other companies and businesses and at times people who started off with a why, but they failed to keep it. Over time, they lost it. It got ignored to their failure. 
He says everything has to start with a why. Nietzsche, who was an agnostic, an atheist, he said this, He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Do you see what he's saying? That's how important why is. The apostle Paul had a gospel why. He had lists. Lists of all the things that he went through the gospel. Read them. There are three very long descriptive lists of all that he went through. Suffering and afflictions. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was in the deep many times. He had enemies everywhere. People were taking vows to take his life. He was in prison often, it says, chains often, and on and on the list goes. How did he handle that? You know how he buried, was able to bear all those howls for the sake of the gospel? Because he had a stronger, far more powerful why. So listen to the words differently now. And now behold I'm going to Jerusalem. Even though I know all this is going to happen and I know what they're going to do to me and I know all this, I'm still going. Well, what is the why, Pastor Walker? What would constrain him to love to give people the gospel that much? Do you see the next phrase? Constrained by the Spirit. It's interesting. The word constrained is the same verb used in verse 23 when it says imprisonment. It's the same word used all throughout the New Testament to, te- to translate this word, chained. You know what Paul says? You know how I handle the outside chains? I have an inside chain. I have an inner chain. Paul's motivation was not himself. It wasn't his own risk. It wasn't on the hierarchy of his personal needs that came first. You know what he was moved by? An inner chain that was controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul's inner chain chain changed everything about how he responded to his outer chain. Paul can handle being a prisoner of Rome because he first decided that on the inside he would be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced, and I hope you will be, in our lives, the outer chains, all the difficulties and hardships we face are not nearly as important as our inner chains. The things that the Bible says he was bound, New King James, bound in the spirit. Why? They're trying to communicate. He had a chain that was invisible. He had a chain that nobody else could see. Now see, in this text, it's very Trinitarian. It's all about all the members of the Godhead. Repentance toward God, he says. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, constrained by the spirit. See, Paul's view of these things was very God-centered. It was all about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like we sang this morning. There are two phrases to help us understand what is a spirit chain? What is it? A gospel chain. There are two phrases in our text that mention the Holy Spirit. Put them together. Constrained by the Spirit on the inside. And here's what the Holy Spirit testifies to him. That I will have imprisonment and afflictions. You know how he can handle the how? The Spirit giving him all the problems that he had? Because he had a why on the inside. So let me ask you, as a Christian, who or what are you chained to on the inside? What drives and motivates you the most? Is there anything that would even come close to constraining you like Paul had? 
See, every single person in this room this morning, you are either constrained by the spirit or you are constrained by the flesh. And can I tell you, they are worlds apart. Gospelizers have a different hierarchy because they have a different chain. They do. They're not controlled by the visible chains, by the world and the things that they can see. They are controlled rather by a spirit invisible chain. And I'm afraid that too often, too many of God's people are controlled by fleshly chains on the inside rather than spirit chains on the inside. For example, the inner chain of money. There's so many Christians who don't witness. And you know why? Because they are distracted by a lot of things. They've given their life and orientated their life and sinned their lives. They are chained to things that may not be bad, They may be good things, but they are not gospel things. See, finances, money, getting money is more important to them than giving the message. You know why? Not because they would say, it's not that I don't care, but Pastor Walker, I have to have, and I have this bill, and I have this, and we have, and it's not because we don't have all have those things. But to the point where we don't witness, we don't tell others about Christ, we don't see the people that we work with as people who are lost, indicates that our inner chain is fleshly. The inner chain, and there's many of them, you could factly spend all day thinking about them. The inner chain of education, where I put it above everything else. I know people who go off to college for four years, and because they're getting a degree, they don't even go to church for four years. They completely put it on hold as if God can wait, because education, because my real future is not wrapped around God. It's wrapped around my future about what I'm going to make and where I'm going to live and the house I'm going to have and the things I'm going to get. Interchains. Interchains of friends, families, children. See, they're all good things. Sports. Sports where people make sports a god. More important that they'll skip church for they and their small children who are still under 10 years old. Because they teach their children this. You know what our lives are really chained to? It's God if we can. But what we want and our personal needs, say they trump all of those things because I don't show up for church if a, at a sporting event is in its place. Retirement, safety, security, why? Because we're not chained by the spirit on the inside. And so you know what we do? We hear messages like this and we don't feel good about it because it's describing us and we don't want to admit how much. So we try to tack on things on the outside. I'm going to learn a new gospel technique. Maybe if I just shared the gospel differently, a different presentation. Maybe if I started mastering apologetics and was more familiar with what all the religions of the world believe or what belief systems are common in America or how to address cultural issues that people ask me questions. If I think, if I could have all of that, but nothing ever changes. We read the books, we go to the conference, we hear the message, and we don't change. And we wonder why. It's because we neglect the inner chain of the spirit that works in us, constrains us, that we are witnesses. Listen to one author speak about invisible chains, secular author. They're going to use a different metaphor. See, they're saying this, your life has buried wires. And the author says, and you know what I mean by that, kind of like a dog's shock collar. See, you can't see the wires, but you know they're there because when the dog reaches the boundary... He feels the effect 
and is shocked. See, we all have, the author says, we all have buried wires in our lives. Then he says this, and everyone has a heart cell, meaning prison cell, a heart cell, and you bump into the invisible bars when anything threatens your comfort zone. And you know that you've done this, kind of like the wires, whenever negative emotions disturb you and your personal likes and preferences are threatened. In other words, we all have buried wires. We're all wearing the collar. We all have built a heart cell for ourselves. And we know that when someone pushes us, someone tells us that we need to get out of our comfort zone, see, we don't like it. We don't want to do those things, he says. And then he says this devastating paragraph. Most people devote their lives to building, rebuilding, and maintaining their own personal prison. See, you build the prison, he says, slowly over the entire course of your life. And its bars include your self-labels and identity make markers. Listen to this. You, your building determines your interaction with others. No one keeps you imprisoned. You are your own jailer, and you love the prison that you have built. Oh, see, we have inner cells, and we don't want people different from us in them, especially if they're that different, if they're really out there. See, we're not motivated because we have a different inner prison, a different inner chain. It's not one of the spirit. It's not one consumed with the gospel. It's a different kind. And we become our own jailer. And we only let so many people in as long as they fit the description of what we want to. And our preferences, our comforts, our lives, our needs. You see, fleshly inner chains determine your gospel interactions. If you could say in your heart of hearts, as I'm talking this morning, that it has been weeks, months, years since you actually had a gospel interaction with someone that you gave the gospel to, you have to understand that you are controlled by fleshly inner chains. You're devoting yourself to building a heart cell centered around you and your needs and not the spiritual needs of others. And the reason why even though you know it's wrong to not engage people with the gospel, even though you know it's wrong, you know what happens over time? You ignore when the shock collar spiritually goes off and you listen to message and the preacher, he has to say those things and you let it go by. You no longer feel the pain of bumping into the invisible bars that you've erected because your heart has, not, has now gone after good things but not gospel things. Can I tell you? Chains determine choices. Let me say it again. Chains determine choices. Gospel chains produce gospel choices. Spirit chains produce spirit choices. Fleshly chains produce fleshly choices. And gospelizers are people who make gospel chains. And you read the life of the Apostle Paul, and you said, well, he was an apostle, and Jesus did appear to him, and I could never be like him. See, you wonder, how could he make the choices to go to Jerusalem? How could he make the choices to make all those sacrifices? I could never be like him. Yes, you could but you'd have to get a new inner chain. He made those choices because he had that chain. 
See, that's the first thing was gospel chains. That's what makes someone a gospelizer. On the inside, you are different than the average person. And that's why there's very few people that we look up to in that way. Wow, they're so great. I wish I could be like that. But we don't make the chains. We don't have the chains inside to be able to make those choices. And so we continue week after month after year after year. And we don't really ever talk to someone. In fact, some people go their entire lives as Christians and never reach one person for Christ. Why is it? It's not because we don't know enough. It's not because we have a meek personality. It's not because it scares us, or I'm not really a people person. No, it's because we don't have an inner chain that constrains us and moves us and helps us see people differently. I want you to see the impact that you can have, the chains that could be in your life, because gospel chains... Determine gospel choices. Look at the choices Paul was able to make because he had an inner chain like that. Look at verse 24. He says, and this is the life verse of a lot of people. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. You know, here's two choices. He had, he had right, two chains, inner chains and outer chains, and they were related, and they connected. Now he's going to do two things. He has two gospel choices, and they too are connected. See, gospel chains are going to change his choices about how he views himself and how he views others. If you'll notice there in the verse 24, it begins with the word but. And you know why that's important? Because it ties it to the two preceding verses. He wants you to know, you know how I'm going to go to Jerusalem even though I know what they're going to do to me and it's going to be awful and I still go. I want you to know the reason why, what's behind it. That chain is going to make this choice that I don't view myself the same way that everyone else in the world around me does. Paul's outer chains, imprisonment, afflictions did not make him, as it would for most of us, more self-absorbed. We would start feeling sorry for ourselves. We would have a pity party. We would start being able to convince ourselves that it's really not a good thing to do anymore because look what I have to go through. See, Paul went through all kinds of things for the gospel, things that you and I wouldn't even dare to try. He made incredible sacrifices in his life. And the reason was because of how he viewed himself. I am convinced as a pastor For the longest time, that the two reasons why there are fewer and fewer Christians who are willing to witness and even fewer people who are willing to make a lifestyle out of being a missionary is because of the two things that Paul's talking about here. I believe our biggest problem in witnessing and missionaries is this, of how we view ourselves and how we view others. Paul says, let me tell you how I see myself. Because it's absolutely crucial to see yourself this way if you're ever going to make or have a gospel chain. Here it is. He says, I don't count my life of any value or precious to myself. And the key verb there is count. It's a word that means to make calculations, to make an assessment. Today we would call it cost-benefit analysis. You know what cost-benefit analysis is? It's a systematic process used to analyze which choices to make and which ones to forego. So you look back and say, well, here's what it's going to cost me to do this, but if I do it, here will be the benefits. Is it worth it? Are the benefits greater than the cost? What about the gospel? 
What about a cost-benefit analysis of the gospel? When you look at Paul's life, you would have to think, at least up front, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Look what it costs you. Your health, your well-being, it costs you, your, almost costs you your life, and eventually it does cost him his life. Your freedom, it costs money, it costs your reputation. I mean, I can't imagine anything in the Apostle Paul's life that it didn't cost. And what's the benefit of it? You get nothing for yourself, seemingly. See, the cost of the gospel, he lists them, chains, prisons, afflictions. He would tell you this, they far, the gospel far outweighs any cost I might make. How can you say that? Because he doesn't place his own personal hierarchy values on his own life. See, here's the difference. For the Apostle Paul, his life value is not determined by himself or by others. It's always determined by Jesus. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you how hard this really is. Because, again, this is why we don't witness. And let me tell you what it means. He says this, I don't value my life. And then he's going to explain what that means. I don't see it as precious to myself. The word precious is the Greek word tamao. It's the same word we get Timothy, the name Timothy. It means honor, to hold up as valuable. He says, you see this? In his day, in a shame and honor culture, the things he mentions, chains, prison, afflictions, see, all of those things were considered dishonorable. If you got put in jail, you were beaten, you were, the government had to get a hold of your life, that was considered terribly shameful. Everybody who knew you would want to abandon you, not even know you, say they know you anymore. It would be dishonor. You would be really considered a criminal. But see, God honor is so much different than cultural honor. In his culture, everyone would think he was dishonored. But in the gospel world, he was honored. He turns the value and the definition of shame and honor on its head because gospelizers, like Paul, live with a completely different value system. Let me tell you what it looks like. See, teenage gospelizers. See, normal teenagers are pursuing being accepted by others as a primary thing, to being popular, to being liked. And so it drives them. It drives them to talk certain way, joke about things, get involved in things that they know are wrong, but they do it anyways. And they dress a certain way, and they do things. Why? Because they're driven by a certain cultural honor. But see, teen gospelizers, they're not pursuing being accepted by others as their highest need, but being accepted by God. And because of that, it radically impacts their choices. They don't dress like everybody else. Oh, it doesn't mean they don't have fashion. It doesn't mean they don't look good. But they're not compromising their faith to do it. Oh, they're not compromising a lot of things, actually. See, they're not going to compromise in their friendships and the words that they say and the things that they do on weekends. They're not going to try to go behind their parents' back. You know why? Because they have a different value system. That's what a teenage gospelizer would be like. See, that's why the word, the phrase in verse 24 starts with but, because it's a complete contrast. See, it'd be like you and I. The world tells us, you know what honor is? Getting to the top of the ladder. But for the gospelizer, it's getting to the bottom of the ladder. It's not the power you have, but the service that you give. 
You see, for the gospelizer, the symbol that marks them is not a crown, but a cross. Their glory is not what people say about them and how great they are, but what people, God says about them and about how great he is. Paul would say, let me tell you what it's like. And he says in verse 24, but, he says, I do not count my life of any value and precious, if I only, if only I may finish my course my race. That's what it is. If only I may finish my race. See, Paul ran in a race, but not like everybody running in a fleshly, physical race. See, different values, different race that he's in. And see, if you're running in a different race, you'll look foolish to everybody else. In fact, Paul, because he was in prison, looked like he was finishing last. But in reality, he was finishing first. But you know what? If you don't have an inner chain and you can't see those things, then you won't understand that and you wouldn't do that as a parent and you won't teach your children to do it. You won't teach them that God matters more than all the other fleshly inner chains that you might choose. See, we, we, we shy away from not doing what everybody else does. Well, if they do this on Sunday, we do it on Sunday. If we dress like that, if we talk like that, if we have those values, if we have those morals, see, we don't want to change it because we're not running the race. Not the right one. See, Paul saw his whole life as a race centered in God and the gospel. And he was even willing to run it with chains. You know how hard it would be to run with chains? <laughs> you can't. But he did because he had a different hierarchy of values. Literally, he says, if I could only finish my race. Oh, can I stop and tell you? Listen. If you're a senior saint, be at the Bible study Tuesday. Let me tell you far more than that. Finish well. Finish well. Oh, see, don't say that when I turn 70, 75, or 80 that I can turn off the inner chain. I don't have to have it anymore. No, let it move you. Don't just relax in your last years. Don't just take it easy. Don't just get a retirement and say, now I can coast and do whatever I want when I want. No, let the inner chain still constrain you, move you, so that it doesn't matter how old you are, that you're being pushed by it because the inner chain never goes away. Do you know he says this, that I might finish the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus. When was that? On the Damascus Road, all the way back in Acts 9, God appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him, and he, and he found out who Jesus really was. Listen, and it changed his life, and from the very first day he got saved, he started that race. He was running it. Most likely, he was right around the age of 30, and 30 plus years later, he says, I can see the finish line. I know that when I get to Rome, it'll be the last place I get to. And he was beheaded there for the cause of Christ. He finished his race. You know why? Because his life value was not connected to his looks or his IQ or his net worth or his popularity. It was connected to this, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know what that meant? Oh, not just living a good life so hopefully others will see a difference in me. That's good. But the word to testify is used in verse 21, 23, 24, 26. It is always verbal. 
It means that you have a relationship or a conversation with someone where you're not just saying, look at me, but you are saying, listen to me. Both of them are part of the gospel. It's not just with my life, as good as that is. It's also with my lips. It's not either or, it's both and. You need both of them. Let me tell you how it works. For the last number of decades, Tim Adams has been reaching, trying to reach with the gospel. Walter, who is here today. I told this story on Wednesday night. But he's been talking to him for years and years and years and years. So we're at Cracker Barrel this past week sitting next to each other and all the things that Tim has said. And so he asked me some questions and he started, Walter started talking about heaven and how to get there. And I gave him the gospel over the next 15 minutes or so. And Walter at Cracker Barrel, 86 years old, bowed his head and trusted Christ as his savior. But you know what it was? It was the life of Tim for all those years, his life, my lips, That's how God does it. See, he cares about that. Gospelizers. See, we declare Christ by the way that we live. Our different values, the day that we are countercultural, and the words that we speak, the words of life. How was Paul able to do all that? (laughs) It's because of how he viewed himself, and lastly, how he viewed others. Can I close with verse 25? And now behold, see the bracket? He's going to tie one more thing in. Now behold, I know, and this is the hardest part. Again, fewer witnesses, fewer missionaries. He says, I know that none of you among whom I have gone proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You don't think it's important? If you look down to verses 36 and 38 at the end of chapter Here's what the verse, they said, he said all these things to the Ephesians, and then he says this, verse 38, being sorrowful most of all, most of all, because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Read the text for yourself. There is, and I underline, praying together, weeping together, they were hugging each other, they were kissing each other, and they were sorrowful to the point where it made them get on the ground to pray. They would never, ever See him again. This was it. And he knew it. Never again. You see how long and how strong the inner chain is? Earlier in the text, at the place he was previous to this, they begged him. Literally, it says, they begged him, don't go to Jerusalem. And he says, what do you mean weeping and breaking my heart? In fact, it frustrated him. You know I'm going and I know the cost. Don't you dare try to stop me, he says. Who can do that? Only someone who has the strongest inner chain of why, as Paul did. When someone is crying and weeping and begging you not to go, but you still say, I will go. Oh, see how he has, see the constraint? Do you see how it works in there? Not even people who love him can stop him. You know why? That's the power of an inner chain that is controlled by the Spirit of God. It's the same power that makes Emmy go to Samoa for four months and Jim is here. It's the same chain that allows Julia to let Ray go all over the world all the time. It's the same one that called Melissa and Juan to go to Columbia when their parents and family and church are here. We are blessed at Faith Baptist Church to have 
examples of this strong inner chain and what it can do and the choices you make that right here among us, do you see them? Do you see them? Are they impacting you? Let me close. Well over a century ago, there was a band of brave souls who became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half of the ticket. And to show that they had the inner chain, instead of taking suitcases when they packed, they put all their earthly belongings in coffins because they knew they weren't ever coming back. Can't tell me there wasn't weeping there, praying, crying, but they left it all behind. You know how hard that is? To think that when you get on the plane to go to Colombia or Samoa or somewhere else, that you may never come back. Julius Caesar famously said, if you want to take the island, and he was referring to England, burn the boats. Well, see, only a person with an inner chain like that could ever burn the boats. can say, Jesus, I want to be a gospelizer. I want to be a gospelizer. I want to be so controlled by an inner chain that it affects and impacts all my choices. I want to make gospel choices. And I'm not going back. I'm not going back to me at the top of the chain of the hierarchy pyramid. Not me, him. Him and others to the glory of God. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Pastor Walker, I know Jesus. I'm a saved person. I'd even so, go so far as to say I'm a disciple. I want to follow him. But how far would you follow him? Would you follow him if there's a cross? If there's a chain? If there's a prison? Oh, for us, it's not those things usually in America, is it? But do you have a chain that's strong enough by the Spirit of God to get you to go across the street at least? What about across the hallway to the cubicle next to you? Do you have a chain that keeps praying for people that keep rejecting what you say? But you're going to keep talking to them, and you're going to keep loving them, and you're going to keep giving them the good news. Is there any cost that you're willing to pay? See, gospelizers do because they don't see themselves and the value. They don't see themselves the way. No, they see themselves through God's eyes, and therefore they see others differently. Oh, see, it's going to start there. I didn't offer today in our annual theme to give you a new technique, a new plan, a new book to read, but a new chain to fasten to your heart. Can we start there on the inside? Can we say this? That's what I want to work on this year. God, give me a gospel chain on my heart. Because I think that if we had that, all the outer, outer things would take care of themselves. I want to be constrained by the gospel. If that's your cry this morning as a Christian, with every head bowed and every close, would you raise your hand and I'll pray for you all over the auditorium, all over. So many hands. Good. But I think there should be so many more. In one sense, it could be all of us, could it not?
But you know what I'm talking about this morning. Chains determine choices. Will you accept the chain? Father, I pray for everyone who raised their hand and others who did not but should have. Oh God, may we not ignore the shock, the buried wires. May we not build prison cells of our own, not letting the needs of others get in. Help us to put on our gospelizer glasses because the inner chain is moving us to live differently, to see differently, to invest differently, and that we want to let our children see it. Oh God, we don't want them to learn the values that everyone else already has around them. But we're willing to be different because we want to have that chain, that gospel chain. God, please help us to foster it, to build it, to desire it as your word and spirit works in us. We might hear throughout 2024 beautiful gospel stories, stories of people that we thought would never get saved that are getting saved, that we're going to start gospel groups together, all the plans that we made. Lord, none of the things we'll talk about tonight would mean anything unless God's people have that chain on the inside. Please help us not only as individuals, but a church, to have that gospel chain. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.